I don't know how many of you have ever had a debate with a three-year-old, but it can go something like this. A little three-year-old one day watching his mother cook said, Mommy, who made the stove? She said, well, people make the stove, son. And who made the people? Well, God made the people, son. Confused, he walked into where his dad was watching the evening news. Daddy, who made the TV? People make the TV, son. And who made the people? Well, God made the people, son. They got in the car that evening to go to the airport, and of course he asked the question, who made the car? And the response was, people made the car. And he asked again, well, who made the people? God made the people, son. They got to the airport and he saw for the first time an airplane and the windows and the engines and the wings, all the incredible things he had never seen before. And so, of course, he asked the question again, Mommy, Daddy, who made this airplane? And they said, people make the airplane, son. He said, I know, and of course, I suppose that God made the people, right? And the answer was, yes, son, you're right, you're getting a clue. Then he asked just one more question. Mom, just who is God anyway? You know, that could be the question today as we look at the Trinity. Just who is God anyway? We celebrate the Trinity, a word that we would never find in Scripture. It's our word. It's a human word. It's a word that we have made up in order to try and understand something to understand our God who is, in fact, a mystery. That's our dilemma in life, you know. Our reason dictates that we must categorize things. We must understand them. We must conquer them. And that could be a good thing. We know that that categorization, that understanding has led to many things in our lives, but it can also lead to words that sometimes can be very mind-numbing. If we were to try and take out the Athanasian Creed today, the third of the three creeds that the church is built on, I'm telling you personally, those words to me as you go through it can be mind-numbing. They're hard to understand, hard things. They're trying to explain something that is so far above us, it doesn't really fit into human language. I love Luther's quote on this. He said the following, The great universities have invented manifold distinctions, dreams, and fictions by means of which they would explain the Holy Trinity and thus have made fools of themselves. Trinity, a word that we use to try and handle what we teach, what the Scriptures, in fact, intimate, or what they imply. That's what Trinity means, what we see in Scripture. What is it that we see? How do we understand how God is presented to us? Clues of the mystery of what we truly know about just who is this God anyway. We teach that Jesus is the final, fullest revelation of God. That He is the one who has brought us all things that we know about God. There is none other that will come after Him to reveal more to us. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus, in fact, gives us more to the clues that we see in Scripture. 
In fact, this morning in our gospel, Jesus tells us even more about God. Because he says, go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He reveals to us that name of God. You know, to us as this modern day audience, it doesn't mean exactly the same in the impact that it has as it would have for those disciples around him who knew what it meant to call upon the name of the Lord, that the name of God was equal to God's presence, to have God with you. I put up a verse from Genesis 21:33, and it says this, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. You see, to call on the name of the Lord means that God was present. God's name was so holy to the people in the Old Testament that they dare not ever speak it because to speak the name of God was to bring God into your presence. And Jesus reveals to us that that name of God is in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He brings into focus those things that were implied in the past. You know, there's no way for us to look at the Trinity and talk about it without going into Scripture because Scripture is the very thing that reveals to us these clues. So I want to do a little bit of a Bible study this morning and look a little more in depth at some verses. They're going to be on the screen so that you can follow along. The first one, Genesis 1.26. We see this at the very beginning of the Bible. It says the following, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. That Hebrew word is plural. Plural for our God. There's a clue there. There's a mystery there. There's something that isn't fully expanded until Jesus comes along to give us more of that. And yet there is also then in our God a oneness because there is the great Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That God, although seen in this plurality, is also one. And so we draw from these clues, from these mysteries that we see in Scripture, this doctrine that we categorize, that we try and understand a God who is so far above us, that we worship the Trinity in unity, that we worship three persons in one. The next verse I want to show you is kind of a reveal of some of those three elements of who our God is. Number 6, 22 through 27. The Lord God said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. It should stand out to us very clearly. Those three lords. One of the very things that the Athanasian Creed says, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, 
The Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. That unity, again, of the persons that we see in Scripture, that picture that we have in the Old Testament that gives us a clue to who our God was and is and is to come. You know, some of those clues that we see in the Old Testament have direct pictures in the New Testament that are parallels that we're going to look at here just in a moment. Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, the next verse that I'd like you to see. Here Isaiah the prophet is given a vision into heaven, a vision into the throne room of God, and in human words is trying to express what it is he sees. He says the following, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory." Again, it's important that we see, just as we saw the three lords in the benediction of Aaron, that we see the three holies in the throne room of heaven. The parallel to which John gives us in his revelation in chapter 4, he says this, In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in the front and back, and day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You see, when images are given, when pictures are given, when someone is taken into the throne room of heaven, it is in an indescribable scene, and yet those descriptions are exact, are the same. Both Isaiah in the Old Testament and John in the New Testament sees the same thing of this eternal God. God in three persons, the holy, holy, holies being cried to honor the names of those three persons. I want to look at one more, Daniel 7. In the book of Daniel, as we look at this, you'll see two phrases. The Ancient of Days, which describes God the Father, and one like the Son of Man, describing God the Son. Remember that Jesus always used that phrase. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save. And it says this, As I looked, thrones were set in place. Again, a vision into heaven. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Well, the words that Jesus spoke in our gospel ring out. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
Now I'll read for you that scene from Revelation. I'm not going to have that on the screen. But listen to these words that you just saw on the screen in Daniel's prophecy. John writes this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The mysteries that we see in Scripture of the Trinity. You know, I'm sure after that, you're all there. You all understand fully. Everything's categorized. Everything's conquered. Everything is understood. If someone were to say to you, just who is this God anyway? You're ready to explain it. We know that's not true. We know that's not even close. Pictures that we see in Scriptures that we can't even imagine. You see, the Trinity remains, as the words in the Athanasian Creed say, incomprehensible. A mystery that we cannot solve. A mystery that we hold to. A mystery that is a blessing to us. But Jesus did not just come into our world in order to give us information, in order to clear up all the questions that we have to categorize and to conquer things. Jesus came that we might know of the relationship that we have with this incomprehensible God. A relationship that He reveals to us in those three persons of the Trinity. That He teaches us first and foremost to call our God Father. A relationship. A relationship of love. A relationship of care. A relationship of one who looks over us. In fact, we know in the Scriptures that Hebrew word, or that Aramaic word, Abba, meaning Daddy. That we have that much of an intimate in with the eternal, incomprehensible God. You know, I think about that word daddy, and as I converse with my kids, many times they call me fathers. We have conversations. But when one of them sits down to me and says, Daddy, that opens a whole new door. That opens an incredible relationship of the years that we've spent together, of the love that we've shared, of knowing that this is someone vulnerable who needs my counsel, who needs my aid, who needs me to be involved in their lives. So that is what we call our Heavenly Father, Daddy. Because that describes the intimacy that we have of one who cares what we bring before Him, who wants to hear our needs, who wants to answer us, who wants to be involved in our lives and provide what we need. Because He loves us. That is who our Father is and the relationship that we have. 
the relationship that we have with the eternal Son of God, Jesus who took on human flesh, who became the God-man to redeem all fallen humankind. Not just a carpenter from Nazareth or a new rabbi or a prophet as the world would call him, but one who actually was accused for making himself equal to God eternal, to Yahweh, to the name of God. Remember that in the Scriptures when Jesus said, for which of these signs and miracles do you stone me? They said, oh, not for any of the signs or miracles that you have done do we stone you when they tried to. They said, but because you being a man have made yourself equal to God. But truly Jesus was that second person of the Trinity. Equal to God, very God of very God, we confess in the creeds. Not just a simple martyr who died on a cross that we remember, but the God-man who had the power, the power and authority that we see in the book of Revelation to destroy to destroy sin and death and the power of the devil in our lives, to build that relationship with us through the waters of our baptism, to take you and I in those waters to be friends, as he said. I call you friends, brothers and sisters, to take us with our spots and our failures and our brokenness and to cover us with his love. A relationship with the Son of God who came to redeem us, and the Spirit. The Spirit who someone once described as the infinite becoming intimate. The very presence of God within us. You know, that word presence literally means being at hand. And that is who the Spirit is in our lives. The Spirit who is ready, willing, and able always to encourage us, to comfort us, to guide us, to strengthen us to be with us throughout the ages, even to the time that we close our very eyes in death. It is the Spirit who makes us alive. You see, Jesus came, as I said, not just for information's sake, but so that we might know the relationship we have with those persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and knowing that we have a relationship with the eternal, incomprehensible, mysterious God knowing how much we are loved, how much we are cared for, how much we are cherished by our God eternal. You know, Albert Einstein's wife was once asked the question if she understood his theory of relativity. She responded, no, but I understand my husband. Truly, the Trinity is a mystery that we will not fully understand and we will not comprehend. But Jesus has revealed to us the understanding of our relationship with our eternal God. A relationship of love, of sacrifice, of watching over us, of caring for us, of nurturing us, and of being with us to the very close of the age. May we remember that as we worship the Trinity in unity and the unity in substance. Amen.